Guten Abend. Ja, das ist sehr gut. Ja. What's going on with the Majestatch? The Majestatch is good. Sehr gut. Seriously, all of you, Trump defense gets buried by smoking gun evidence from his own team. <laughs> 58 minutes ago. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF After Dark. Mm -hmm. On the Saturday edition of Legal AF, Ben Marcellus and me, we started analyzing what happened in the first two weeks of the New York civil fraud case against Donald Trump and all the little Trumpers, including all of the insider witnesses, including the chief financial officer and the controller of the financial controls of the company and the assistants that work for them. And then, of course, outsider witnesses that testified representing... Trump bury himself with smoking gun evidence. That's pretty good, hilarious headline. <laughs> the longtime accounting firm for the company and a banker for the company who all confirmed the fraud, the persistent fraud that is at the heart of the case that the New York Attorney General's office is attempting to prove, having already proved one standalone count of persistent fraud two weeks ago on a motion for summary judgment. The ins and outs of the momentum of the narrative of the witnesses is really important. And Ben Mysalis and me, co-anchors of the Saturday edition of Legal AF, using our collective trial experience, I've been doing this for 32 years, in New York, in the courthouses that we're talking about, in this case, 60 Center Street in Manhattan, we give you our best guess and estimate and analysis of what we've observed and the things we think you need to know. For instance, why did Alan Weisselberg, the disgraced felon chief financial officer uh, for Donald Trump, why did he get a $2 million severance package that he's earning month by month? And why is that amount exactly the amount of the fine that, he, that was imposed on him criminally in the criminal tax evasion case that he lost? What's the link? Is that why he's not cooperating fully with the New York Attorney General, even during his testimony? And what about this 20 to 40 percent premium, just a made-up number that Donald Trump added on or instructed that Michael Cohen and other people in the organization add on to his assets to fill a hole created by the fact that Forbes magazine figured out that his apartment was two-thirds smaller than he said it was. We talk about all that and more on this week's edition. Take a listen. Mar-a-Lago is not a complicated case. It does not take more than the time allotted from now until um, May try. New York fraud case is not a complicated case. Donald Trump does not do complicated things. You can make your own assumptions as to why. You could try two Mar-a-Lago cases in the time that's left on the clock between now and May. You could try two New York fraud cases in the time that they've had. Hiding documents from the government and using half a dozen people to do it is not a complicated case. Uh, changing your numbers and just artificially inflating them and adding 20% or 30% onto your net worth in order to defraud insurance companies and banks and using half a dozen people to do it is not a complicated case. Donald Trump does not 
warrant long trials or long preparation sessions, no matter what his lawyers say in all of these cases. There's no reason for any delay, and these cases should go off on schedule, just as scheduled in March and May and whenever we get to Phony Willis's case in Georgia. I agree with you. You know, the one, if you want to say which one of all of them is the most complicated, the RICO criminal conspiracy in Fulton County, Georgia, where the judge is handling it perfectly, ably, steady, and also the case in Washington, D.C. before Judge Tanya Chutkin, right, where Judge Chutkin handling the case perfectly, moving the case along. And she's it's it's not like she's special counsel Jack Smith, whatever you want, file in my court and you'll get expedited briefing. She's even both sides. They file things. She moves the case along and you can see that the litigants respect her for doing that. That's what you want in a judge, someone who conjures respect. Let's be real, though, like with Judge Cannon, you have Donald Trump and his motions in the Southern District of Florida treating her like she's a buddy. You can see it in the filings that there's the wink and the nod right there. Like, we need you to do this for us. It doesn't say it so expressly, but that's what's going on. And then you have her at these hearings that shouldn't be complex hearings, and we'll talk about it later in the show. But you have a conflicts of interest hearing over Donald Trump's lawyers and whether the lawyers being paid for by political action committees who are also representing other co-defendants and who are representing witnesses, whether there's these conflicts of interest that are unwaivable or that there should be some other remedy. But like you got to go through with the hearing. And I get that judges could be mad at litigants and just assume for the sake of argument that Judge Cannon was validly upset at Jack Smith's team, which I don't believe. Hold the hearing, get the evidence out, and then if you think there's a sanction or something you want to do once the hearing is completed, then you do it. It's like you don't start the, (laughs) the sports game. You don't. I like presidents who don't receive multiple gag orders on his trials. <laughs> like the way it's going. So in the first inning of a baseball game, you go, you know what? Let's let's not do these nine innings. I, I don't I don't want to do it. I'm upset. You go through the process and then you let the chips fall where they are. But we'll talk about that later in the show. But let's go to New York, New York. This was week two of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case against Donald Trump. And just because Trump isn't there, it only lasted two and a half days of ranting and raving like a lunatic. The first week of trial where a gag order was imposed. Mm -hmm. I know the media loves that. And then they move their attention. Remember, I defrauded New York for you and for democracy. Please donate now. (laughs) But it's important that we focus on what's happening with the evidence on a weekly basis so that false narratives are not created and that we follow the evidence wherever that leads we follow the evidence so this week we had testimony again from donald trump's former cfo alan weisselberg some bombshell testimony there about it was assets to fill a hole created by the fact that forbes magazine figured out that his apartment was two-thirds smaller than he said it was we talk about all that more on this week's edition take a listen Mar-a-Lago is not a complicated case. It does not take 
more than the time allotted from now until um, May try. New York fraud case is not a complicated case. Donald Trump does not do complicated things. You can make your own assumptions as to why. You could try two Mar-a-Lago cases in the time that's left on the clock between now and May. You could try two New York fraud cases in the time that they've had. Hiding documents from the government and using half a dozen people to do it is not a complicated case. Uh, changing your numbers and just artificially inflating them and adding 20% or 30% onto your net worth in order to defraud insurance companies and banks and using half a dozen people to do it is not a complicated case. Donald Trump does not warrant long trials or long preparation sessions, no matter what his lawyers say in all of these cases. There's no reason for any delay, and these cases should go off on schedule, just as scheduled in March and May and whenever we get to Phony Willis's case in Georgia. I agree with you. You know, the one, if you want to say which one of all of them is the most complicated, the RICO criminal conspiracy in Fulton County, Georgia, where the judge is handling it perfectly, ably, steady, and also the case in Washington, D.C. before Judge Tanya Chutkin, right, where Judge Chutkin handling the case perfectly, moving the case along, and she's, it's, it's not like she's special counsel Jack Smith, whatever you want, file in my court and you'll get expedited briefing. She's even both sides. They file things. She moves the case along and you can see that the litigants respect her for doing that. That's what you want in a judge, someone who conjures respect. Let's be real though. Like with judge Cannon, you have Donald Trump and his motions in the Southern District of Florida treating her like she's a buddy. You can see it in the filings that there's the wink and the nod right there. Like, we need you to do this for us. It doesn't say it so expressly, but that's what's going on. And then you have her at these hearings that shouldn't be complex hearings, and we'll talk about it later in the show. But you have a conflicts of interest hearing over Donald Trump's lawyers and whether the lawyers being paid for by political action committees who are also representing other co-defendants and who are representing witnesses, whether there's these conflicts of interest that are unwaivable or that there should be some other remedy. But like, you got to go through with the hearing. And I get that judges could be mad at litigants and may, may just assume for the sake of argument that Judge Cannon was validly upset at Jack Smith's team, which I don't believe. Hold the hearing, get the evidence out, and then if you think there's a sanction or something you want to do once the hearing is completed, then you do it. It's like you don't start the, you know, the sports game. You don't like the way it's going. So in the first inning of a baseball game, you go, you know what? Let's, let's not do these nine innings. I, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm upset. You go through the process and then you let the chips fall where they are. But we'll talk about that later in the show. But let's go to New York, New York. This was week two of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case against Donald Trump. And just because Trump isn't there and only lasted two and a half days of ranting and raving like a lunatic, the first week of trial where a gag order was imposed, I, I know the media loves that. And then they move their attention elsewhere. But it's important that we focus on what's happening with the evidence 
on a weekly basis so that false narratives are not created and that we follow the evidence wherever that leads we follow the evidence so this week we had testimony again from Donald Trump's former CFO Alan Weisselberg some bombshell testimony there about his severance agreement and the amount of his severance agreement matching the criminal fine in his criminal plea agreement and whether that constitutes obstruction of justice potential perjury of Alan Weisselberg on the stand when it became clear that he was not being forthcoming and then outright lying about his involvement in calculating the properties and some Forbes reporters got the documents and data and emails to back it up that they went to the New York Attorney General's whip you had an ex an ex risk manager an ex risk manager at Deutsche Bank uh, testify someone named Nis Nicholas Haig um, who kind of rebutted all of these kind of Donald Trump talking points that the bank just blindly accepted whatever Donald Trump's you know statements were and that the bank was relying a lot on these statements made by Donald Trump there was a due diligence process and where fraud was being committed that could change their determination about whether they would have made a loan or not and then you had the testimony from a current Trump organization person Patrick Bernie who went through the fact that Alan Weisselberg who claims he wasn't involved in a lot of things would provide these notations that presumably came directly from Donald Trump but these notations on statement of financial conditions that talked about adding brand premiums from 10 15 up to 30% brand premiums that were based on Donald Trump claiming oh former president residents or presidential residents add a brand premium add the brand premium for the fact that it's Donald Trump lives there and Donald Trump saying oh, my brands were never added into brand premiums were never added they were there are notations there's evidence that that backs that up so evidence 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 Popak what'd you think about week two we're seeing is a masterful presentation of evidence over a trial that's going to last up to a hundred trial days. This is only the first two weeks. We're going to talk later in this segment about the order of witnesses or, or who's going to be coming up next. And what I like so far is this nice momentum that's being built in the narrative in front of the trial judge, no jury, of insider witness, outsider witness, insider witness, outsider witness, insider witness no longer with the company, outsider witness um, no longer with the company. None of them, um, all of them kind of different pages in the hymnal that's being presented of the fraud. So you start in week one with the ultimate outsider in Don Bender, the 12-year-long accountant auditor for everybody related to Trump, including personally, who knows where all the bodies are buried, and pointed the finger at the Trump organization, Donald Trump, Alan Weisselberg, and McConney, the controller for fraud. You know, that he, they misled the auditors, they did not provide proper information, and focusing in on Trump Tower. We spent a lot of time talking about the Trump penthouse and why it's only 10,999 feet and not 30,000 feet, not because it's an ego thing. It's because there is criminal or, in this case, fraudulent conduct that started in 2017 
and that, and that Michael Cohen will testify to and the others have testified to, when Forbes magazine, which you already mentioned, got the, the floor plans from the fire marshal and the building department and the Department of Buildings in New York and figured out very quickly that the apartment on three levels is only 11, 000, less than 11,000 square feet. And that created, a, once they outed Donald Trump on the size of his apartment, that created a hole in his balance sheet of a substantial amount that had to be made up some other way. Now, normally, when you have a hole in your balance sheet, you want to increase the value of it. You go buy um, and you acquire more assets, not Donald Trump. Donald Trump gave the instruction to keep the existing assets and just inflate them artificially by making up numbers, putting premiums on them, a 20% presidential premium, a 30% ex-presidential premium. Um, this is When I say premium just here, I just made up a number. It'd be like you taking your own personal balance sheet. Let's say you've got $1,000 in the bank. You just add 30% on and you tell somebody that you have $1,300 in the bank. You only have 1000 but you've added a 30% premium. Now, do that to Donald Trump with a lot more zeros, and you get the sense of what's happened here. Michael Cohen will come in and support that. So insiders, first two, the money men, 30-year, 50-year-plus organizational money men in um, McConney, uh, the controller who reported to Weisselberg, the disgraced felon, the financial officer who doesn't understand what generally accepted accounting principles are that he testified. I don't know how you can be in a control position within a company that's got money flowing through it if you don't understand that. More importantly, during the testimony of Alan Weisselberg, the reason at the attorney general calling this hostile witness, which is what Alan Weisselberg and even, uh, even uh, McConney are, because they're on the other side of the V, they're defendants. She's swinging for the fences here, and she's doing a masterful job, the attorney general, in bringing in these adverse witnesses, but knowing that she has their testimony from the the New York uh, Manhattan District Attorney's tax evasion case that went terribly for the Trump organization last year with 17 felony counts conviction by a jury against the Trump organization and all of its entities, and Alan Weisselberg particularly 17 felony counts, um, and he went to jail for it. So they had the testimony from that. McConney had testified in the tax case under an immunity deal with the Manhattan TA. So he's the most honest of all of them. But they were ready for Weisselberg. And Weisselberg did not perform the way he was expected to on that stand. But they were ready that he would try to not remember things, which is what he started doing. I don't remember that. I don't recall that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. He had to admit to things that were in writing, like, isn't that Donald Trump's signature on the bottom of a, a representation to banks that he would not include brand value and brand percentage as part of his balance sheet, as part of his net worth? Yeah, that's his signature. He had to do that. But in the places where he wasn't being cooperative and to signal to the judge that, they, that there's a credibility problem here. And this witness that you want to track suddenly goes off the track, then you have to punish them. And the way that you punish them is the way the New York Attorney General did, which is, let's talk about your separation agreement with the uh, Trump Organization. They committed to paying you $2 million, didn't they? Yes. And that's the same $2 million number as you have to pay or paid in a fine related to your tax evasion conviction, right, sir? Yes. Coincidence? 
I would say it's a coincidence. Okay. And let's go through the payment schedule. You've gotten one point, you know, you've gotten $750,000 in payments, but you're owed $1.2 million left, right, sir? Right. And it says here you can't voluntarily cooperate with anybody. It has to be by subpoena, right, sir? And if you violate this agreement, you're not going to get your money, are you? The only reason that came out that way with a witness that they called is because Weisselberg wasn't playing ball. And he was not giving them what they wanted. Now, they don't need Weisselberg to nail Donald Trump in this fraud case. That would have been icing on top of icing on the cake. But when he started effing with the, with the uh, cross-examiner for the New York Attorney General, that's when they, they decided they needed to punish him and bring that out. Fortunately, you're in front of a judge. And the judge is always evaluating credibility of witnesses. And so that was a signal to the judge. We, he's saying some things that we think he remembers. He says he doesn't remember. But I want you to know, judge, why he may be doing that. And that's why that thing came up. The only witness so far uh, that currently works for the Trump organization, everybody else either getting severance payments or waiting on them, is Patrick Bernie, this poor guy, he's been there for nine years. He's an assistant vice president. Donald Trump testified his deposition. He didn't know who the guy was. <laughs> like, I don't know any of these people personally. I really don't know who that person is. He's going to go on. He went on the stand and basically said, you know, Trump through Weisselberg and McConaughey made me do it. They made me add 30 percent values onto numbers and add 20 million dollars onto the, the value of the Trump Tower building for no good reason. And Next week, they're going to bring up uh, another employee who's a assistant controller that reports to Weisselberg. And I assume based on the debriefing in her interview, she's going to be very supportive of the fraud case. I love, though, Ben, the inside outside of witnesses and the, and the momentum that they're building through the first two weeks of a trial that's going to go on for three to five months. And I don't really care if Donald Trump shows up or doesn't show up. It's all a distraction. It's, as I said in a hot take, it's the circus comes to town, it brings the giant elephant, giant elephant craps over everything, and then you got to clean up behind him and he leaves. That's what's going to happen. It'll have no impact on the witnesses that are testifying. He already said he doesn't know most of the witnesses for the Trump organization who are testifying. And the only thing we're waiting on that, that I, you know, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you have your opinion about is, is when Michael Cohen finally testifies and if Alina Hoppe is the one that's going to cross-examine him. I mean, that's where I buy my popcorn. It'll be interesting to see if Alina Habba does the cross of Michael Cohen. Um, Michael Cohen uh, has requested, based on health conditions, that his testimony not take place next week, but I'm sure it will be taking place within the next few weeks, and we all wish Michael Cohen well. Alina Habba took his deposition, uh, and so will she do the cross-examination? I'm interested in a point that you made, Popak, which I'll touch upon before moving to the federal criminal uh, cases, is Alan Weisselberg, when he was there as a witness, brought upon himself the fury of the cross-examiner by saying, I don't remember, I don't remember, I don't recall, and trying to play that game. Because of that behavior, the cross-examiner, the lawyer who's doing a great job from the New York Attorney General's office, grilled Weisselberg on his severance agreement, as you mentioned. Now, 
the criminal penalty for Weisselberg when he took the plea agreement in the Manhattan District Attorney criminal case for the fraudulent tax benefits he received. Remember, he served time on Rikers Island. In addition to the sentence that he had for incarceration, he had to pay a $2 million fine. The severance agreement was for $2 million. If there was a quid pro quo payment by the organization to pay him off and to hide that as severance for compliance with what Trump and the organization wanted him to do in that case and in other criminal investigations, that is classic textbook obstruction of justice crimes. Now, if Weisselberg just basically, instead of going, I don't recall, I don't recall, was forthcoming and he acknowledged the existence of a severance agreement and just answered the questions, the New York Attorney General lawyer would not have spent the focus proving very credibly that another crime was convicted, right? Weisselberg looked like he was guilty and Trump did as well of obstruction of justice. And guess who's watching this other than us here at the Midas Mighty and Legal AF and the rest of the country, but clearly the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is watching they're waiting. It's still within the statute of limitations to charge Donald Trump or to charge Weisselberg or some of these other people again. And I predict that they are going to do that after there is a final resolution or close to it in this civil case. I think it will lead to more criminal cases and more exposure. That's why Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, I think, strategically was waiting. He brought the case involving Trump's unlawful characterization of the payment to Stormy Daniels as the first case, but he didn't waive his right to bring a future criminal case. So I want everybody to watch for that. And then Weisselberg seems to have committed perjury on the stand, another crime. One of the reasons his testimony abruptly ended as well as the Forbes writers said, wait a minute, Weisselberg is saying that he had no involvement with the triplex and that he doesn't remember having these detailed discussions with us. Triplex. See, well, 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 there is a raging debate about that. Not in New York. And Goron corrected the witness three times when he said triplex. It's triplex in New York. All right. We'll see. We, we, we will see. So so we've got that going on in New York. And then in the and with respect to Forbes, the Forbes writers reached out to the New York attorney general's office and said, hey, look, we've got all of the evidence. If you like that, you're going to love what we do every week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. One place, the Midas Touch Network on their YouTube channel. You knew that you're watching me here. You can free subscribe, help them get to 2 million. No outside investors. You are the supporters. And the larger this network gets because of your grassroots help, the more your voice is heard. And we curate the best stories at the intersection of law, justice, and politics on Legal AF. Yep, it's what you think. And we put it together on a show Wednesdays, Saturdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and then on audio platforms wherever you get your audio podcast from. That was a taste. That was a teaser. If you liked it, come back and join us again. Until that moment when you're back with us, until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF episode, this is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.